Welcome to episode 169 of the Fredcast Cycling Podcast for October 24th, 2010. My name is David, and I'm a Fred. In this week's episode of the Fredcast, Interbike is, wait, no, they're not moving. They're going back to Vegas after all. New York City settles with critical mass cyclists who were arrested. Levi's Grand Fondo has 9,000 participants, and Cyclovia has 100,000 participants. Plus, a product recall, lots of pro cycling news as we close out the 2010 season, some helmet news, some stolen bikes found online, and how beer saved a cyclist's life. Plus, Podsafe cycling music. So sit back, relax, and if you're riding your bike, hammer just a little bit harder because here comes the Fredcast. Hello, Freds. Welcome back to another episode of the Fredcast. Great to have you back with us. Thanks for staying subscribed, and thanks for telling your friends about the Fredcast at www.thefredcast.com. And if you're new to the Fredcast, welcome. It's great to have you joining us for our 169th episode of the Fredcast as we get ready to celebrate the fifth anniversary of the Fredcast Cycling Podcast. But before we do that, but before we do, it's time to thank our sponsor for this week's show, Jensen USA at www.jensenjensonusa.com. And right now, Jensen USA has an incredible Halloween sale going on, a sale to howl about, if you will, with some really fantastic prices. I'm seeing mountain bike frames for more than 50% off, handlebars more than 80% off, mountain bike shoes for 34% off. You can't miss this sale. Go to www.thefredcast.com and click the sale to howl about button on the right-hand side of the page and go to jensenusa.com. I've been telling you about them for months and you've seen for yourself that Jensen USA has the best selection, the best prices, and the best customer service around. Listen, if you're listening to this show, you are going to, from time to time, need to get parts and accessories for your bike and apparel for yourself, and there is no better place that you can go than JensenUSA.com. You can go to JensenUSA.com slash TheFredCast or just go to TheFredCast.com and click the JensenUSA link on the right-hand side of the page. Once you give them a try once, you won't be sorry. We thank Jensen USA so much for their support, and we thank you for your support of Jensen USA. Well, it's time to get to the news, and tonight's news, well, it's topped by something that we've talked about several times on the show, and of course also on the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast, so I will be brief. You'll recall that we talked about that Interbike, the North American uh, International Bicycle Trade Show that traditionally has taken place in September for years and years, as long as I can remember, recently announced that they were going to move to Anaheim and they were changing their dates to early August to better coincide with what they said was the buying season for bicycle dealers. Well, they have now reversed that decision based on overwhelming industry response saying, do not move those dates. August is a tough time for us bike dealers to leave our shops. It's part of the peak selling season, and we'd rather stick in September and in Vegas. So Interbike 2011 will be September 14th through the 16th. 
back at the Sands Convention Center in Las Vegas, and it will be preceded by the outdoor demo at Bootleg Canyon, which is a great place for mountain biking, not a bad place for road biking as well, September 12th through the 13th. Andy Tompkins, the show director for Interbike, was quoted as saying, quote, the announcement that we were moving the show dates and location elicited a very real response that surveys and discussions alone couldn't accomplish. Due to the overwhelmingly positive response to this year's show and the countless conversations we've personally had with exhibitors and retailers regarding the future dates and location of Interbike, we are reversing our earlier decision to move the 2011 show to Anaheim in August. We're hearing loud and clear that at this time, the industry prefers September dates and the convenience of Las Vegas. Now, if you want more information on this, because I've talked about it here ad infinitum, we have as well over at the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast on the last two audio shows, and we also talked about it on the video show live from Interbike. All three of those available at www.the-spokesmen.com. Go ahead and check it out. A lot of interesting conversation about much more than Interbike and where they'll be and when it's going to occur. So go ahead and check it out. From time to time here on the Fredcast and another cycling media, you'll hear the term critical mass. And for those of you who may not be familiar, critical mass is a bike ride slash demonstration, if you will, that occurs the last Friday of the month in cities around the world when bicyclists on bicycles, even one-wheeled cycles of every shape and size, take to the streets of major metropolitan areas in an attempt to say, we own these streets as well. Now, whether you agree with critical mass or not, in most cases, most cases, I believe that the participants are out there to do a peaceful protest and make a peaceful statement about the use of roadways in major cities by bicycles. Well, there's no city larger, at least here in the United States, than New York City, and that is the location where a civil civil rights lawsuit erupted as a result of the arrest of cyclists from September 2004 to January 2006 at various critical mass rides. 83 cyclists were arrested in critical mass over that 17-month period, and as a result of those arrests and as a result of the lawsuit, New York City has now agreed to pay $965,000 to those 83 cyclists who claimed that they were wrongfully arrested during those critical mass events. Tensions between the NYPD and the critical mass cyclists really have their roots in the 2004 Republican National Convention when New York City police officers arrested more than 260 cyclists during a critical mass demonstration. Those cyclists were not covered by this lawsuit, nor was the cyclist that you saw getting body checked by Officer Patrick Pogan in that famed, now infamous, YouTube video. Meanwhile, in England's largest city, London, Boris Johnson, the city's pro-bicycling mayor, recently had the opportunity to announce the fact that the so-called Boris Bikes, or London's cycle hire scheme, which is sponsored by Transport for London, have now been engaged in more than one million journeys. And more than 90,000 people have signed up to participate in 
the Cycle Hire scheme, which provides more than 5,000 bicycles in 315 docking stations around the city. According to London Mayor Boris Johnson, quote, a million thank yous go to Londoners for the warmth with which they have embraced our beautiful blue bikes. The zest in which people have taken to two wheels and joined the cycling revolution we are engendering in the capital has gladdened my heart. And for those of you who may not have plans to be in London in the near future, but who want to try out one of these municipal bike rental schemes, you can find one of these bike rental systems in Paris, Copenhagen, Minneapolis, Montreal, Ottawa, and in many other cities around the world because this kind of bike rental system is becoming extremely popular and growing. So watch for it in a city near you very soon. For those of you who aren't familiar with the term, Grand Fondo means big ride. And just like Boris Bikes getting a million journeys, which is quite a big ride, Grand Fondos have been a tradition in Europe for many, many years, attracting recreational cyclists to take part in a one-day event, a mass event, often called sportives or cyclosportives. These are not necessarily races. A lot of times they're just the opportunity to get out and tackle a challenge. Perhaps it's your first century, your first metric century, something like that. And Levi Leipheimer started Levi's Grand Fondo last year, having several thousand people join him this year. Even more successful, the 2010 edition just concluded, featured more than 9,000 participants in the city of Santa Rosa, where Levi Leipheimer lives. This year's event featured a 32, 65, and a 103-mile route for the 9,000 cyclists and raised money for, of course, Livestrong, also the Forget-Me-Not Farm, which is a facility that cares for abused animals with the help of at-risk youth and also proceeds going to the Keep the Tour campaign, which helps to bring the Amgen Tour of California through Santa Rosa every year. Grand Fondos are growing in popularity here in the United States, indeed around the world. Here in the U.S., we seem to like our centuries and uh, our charity rides, but it is nice to have events like these Grand Fondos. And there are also Grand Fondo series. I know the Colnago Group has the Colnago Grand Fondo series around the United States throughout the year. So seek out a Grand Fondo. It's a change of pace, a, a new cycling event in which you can participate. And if you have the opportunity to make it to Northern California, next fall. Sounds like Levi's Grand Fondo is going to be a tradition that continues year after year after year. And by the way, today's show is being recorded on Sunday, October the 24th, 2010, and that is Levi Leipheimer's birthday. So happy birthday to Levi Leipheimer. And while a Grand Fondo is a well-organized cycling event with a set route for you to follow, and while Critical Mass is in sort of unorganized, unsanctioned event, there was sort of a mixture of the two in Los Angeles a few weeks ago when the first, I'm hoping, annual Cyclovia event occurred where more than seven and a half miles of Los Angeles's famed car-clogged streets were devoid of cars and more than 100,000 cyclists, runners, Walkers, skateboarders, and rollerbladers came out to enjoy streets without cars. 
According to Aaron Paley, Cyclovia's producer and a member of its steering committee, quote, this was amazing, a huge success. This was about giving the people of Los Angeles another way to experience their city. It was about what belongs to us. The streets of LA belong to us. If we think to repurpose them, they are our greatest public space. Now, this is a really interesting concept and one that was inspired by an event that takes place in Bogota, Colombia, called the Chiclovia. Chiclovia was opening Los Angeles' streets to pedestrians and cyclists, creating what they call, quote, a temporary web of public space on which the residents of Los Angeles can walk, bike, socialize, celebrate, and learn more about their own city. This took place on Triple Ten, October 10th, 2010, and is an event which I expect will occur again in the future. I remember the first time something like this occurred that I, in, in my memory, this was many, many years ago, when the first annual LA Marathon bike tour took place and gave us all the opportunity to ride our bikes through 26 miles of closed streets in Los Angeles. It took many people through areas of the city that they had never seen before and certainly on streets that they had never seen without cars. If you've been in LA and certainly if you know anything about LA, you know that cars dominate the culture in many ways in Los Angeles. So an event like Cyclovia is exciting and one that I hope will occur again very soon and perhaps in other cities throughout the nation, indeed throughout the world. Well, as happens from time to time, Companies around the industry have to recall products for safety reasons, and I've got a product recall for you today. This one from a company called The Hive, and this is recalling about 500 sets of their Revel, R-E-V-L, carbon bicycle brakes. The problem here is that the cable clamping area of the brakes can crack over time, causing the brakes to fail and that this could cause a fall or crash hazard to you the cyclist. Thankfully, no injuries have been reported. The recall involves black Revel carbon road bike brakes with date codes 41B, 44B, 45B, 53B, 13C, and 16C, and those date codes are printed on the underside of the brake arms, and the word Revel, R-E-V-L, is printed on the brake. These were sold in independent bike dealers nationwide from September 2009 through August 2010 for about $390 per set, and they were made in Taiwan. As is typical with these recalls, stop using the product immediately and contact the Hive for replacement parts and instructions on how to repair your brakes. There is additional information on the Hive website and also on the Consumer Product Safety Commission's website, and I've got links to both of those in the show notes for today's show, number 169. Just go to www.thefredcast.com and find the link for tonight's show. Rodale Publishing is one of the largest magazine publishers here in the United States, and they're known for producing the United States' leading cycling publication, Bicycling Magazine. They are also the producers of Mountain Bike Magazine. I recall when that started about 25 years ago as the mountain bike craze was taking off, and Mountain Bike Magazine has continued for the last 25 years, most recently being published just six times a year. Well, Rodale Publishing recently announced that the November issue, now on the nude stands, will be the last standalone issue 
of Mountain Bike Magazine as they are now folding it into Bicycling Magazine, which will now include more mountain bike-specific coverage alongside other road and general interest cycling coverage. According to Peter Flax, the editor-in-chief of Bicycling, quote, integrating mountain bike into bicycling makes strategic sense editorially. This will allow our top-notch team to focus on extending Bicycling's position as the world's leading cycling magazine and to put all of our bike-related content under one roof. Mountain bike segments in Bicycling Magazine will be spearheaded by Lou Mazzante, who's a former mountain bike editor-in-chief and was also the editor of Bike Magazine and the executive editor and managing editor of Bicycle Retailer and Industry News, the industry's magazine of record. Well, last week, the final professional cycling event of the world calendar took place. It was the Giro di Lombardia, or the Tour of Lombardy, and this time it was Philippe Gilbert of Belgium holding off Michele Scarpone to retain his Giro di Lombardia title in very slippery, wet conditions. Philippe Gilbert finished 12 seconds ahead of Michele Scarpone, to win this last major race of the season in 6 hours, 46 minutes, and 32 seconds. Again, 12 seconds ahead of Michele Scarponi from Italy in second. Third place going to Pablo Lastras Garcia from Spain and Castapagna, who was 55 seconds back of the Belgian Gilbert. Fourth place going to Jacob Fuglsong and fifth to Vincenzo Nibali of Italy. And with the conclusion of the Giro di Lombardia so ends the 2010 World Cycling Calendar. And atop this year's rankings, Joaquin Rodriguez from Team Katusha, second place. Well, the winner of the Tour de France, currently in doubt, Alberto Contador. Third place, Philippe Gilbert, fourth. Luis Leon Sanchez, fifth. Cadell Evans, sixth. Vincenzo Nibali, seventh. Robert Gessink, 8th, Ryder Hejdal, ninth, Tyler Farah, and 10th place in 2010 going to Sammy Sanchez from Euskaltel, Euskadi. Rounding out the country's top five, Spain, Italy, Belgium, Australia, and the United States, and the top five teams in order from number one to number five, Team Saxobank, Likigas, Team Astana, Rabobank, and Team Katusha. And as I mentioned briefly a moment ago, Alberto Contador, well, he is still under scrutiny for the trace amounts of clenbuterol found in his system as a result of doping control tests during the Tour de France. We've talked about it here and we've talked about it on The Spokesman and the fact that Contador is blaming the clenbuterol in his system for some tainted Spanish beef. However, those claims are in some doubt because clenbuterol is a drug that professional athletes might use to drop some weight. And the fact that, at least according to reports, that traces of plastic were found in the same doping test shows, at least to some, that it's possible that Contador was blood doping. Now, the head of the World Anti-Doping Agency, David Howman, has dismissed Contador's claim that this clenbuterol positive came from tainted beef. 
He had a press conference last week during which he said that this has been used, tainted beef, I mean, as an excuse by athletes in the past. And recall that clenbuterol is one of those drugs that under WADA's or the World Anti-Doping Agency's rules is a zero-tolerance drug. No matter how little is found in a sample, you are presumed guilty. According to David Howman, quote, it's been raised before, it's been heard in a couple of cases, and rejected. The issue is, can you prove it? It's a pretty hard thing to prove that that's where it comes from. In other words, it's hard to prove that if you had clenbuterol in your system that it came from tainted beef when the tainted beef is no longer available for investigators to scrutinize. Now, the International Cycling Union, or the UCI, has been criticized lately, we talked about this on The Spokesman as well, for appearing to drag their feet in the case of Alberto Contador and not coming to a conclusion of the case in rapid time. Speaking at the 2011 Tour de France presentation, we'll talk about that in a moment, Pat McQuaid said that the UCI is working closely with WADA on the case and that he does not have a timeline for when the final result will be passed down from the UCI. He said, quote, it's a very important case and we need to be completely sure before a decision is taken. It's quite complicated. We're waiting for the results to come back, and I don't know how long it's going to take. In fairness to Contador, in fairness to the sport, in fairness to the Tour de France, we need to go into the details to make sure the decision that will be taken is the right one. He went on to say, quote, we can't speed the process up. The scientific evaluation is still going on, and there is nothing you can rush. We just have to wait until we can sit down together and decide what the next step is. We don't treat him differently than the others, but let's be honest. The fact that it was Alberto Contador means that we have to be certain we make the right decision. Now, going back to WADA, David Howman, the director general of WADA, did tell reporters earlier last week that WADA is closely monitoring the, the Alberto Contador case with the UCI, and they will step in if WADA perceives that the UCI is stalling in a final adjudication of the Alberto Contador case. Now, Alberto Contador has been provisionally suspended waiting for a conclusion of the case. And if he is given a final two-year ban by professional cycling, that would also eliminate his result in the 2010 Tour de France. And that would mean that the runner-up, Andy Schleck, would be declared the winner. However, Andy Schleck last week was quoted as saying, quote, I lost the Tour on the road. I wouldn't want to win it like that. It's a complicated case. Sometimes people are too quick to judge. We have to see what happens. I hope it is resolved in a good way for Alberto. And I think that that's interesting when you consider the rivalry between Alberto Contador and Andy Schleck that developed during the 2010 Tour de France, yielding one of the most exciting Tours de France in several years. Alberto Contador did not attend the 2010, excuse me, the 2011 Tour de France route presentation, and Schleck was quoted as saying, quote, I think it's not easy for Alberto to be here today. I think that everyone should respect the process. We should give him time to make his case. 
Andy Schleck and his brother Frank have announced that they will be forming their own team for 2011. It will be based in their home country of Luxembourg. And Alberto Contador has signed with the Schleck's previous team, Team Saxo Bank, and their manager, Bjarne Reese. Many have wondered whether Saxo Bank would continue their sponsorship of the team. You may recall that there were rumors earlier this year that they wouldn't continue into 2011. Those rumors were set to rest about a month and a half or two months ago. But now with the Contador situation, people have been wondering whether or not Saxo Bank would themselves reverse that decision. However, Saxo Bank has now confirmed that no matter what the conclusion of the Alberto Contador case, they will stick with Reese Cycling and continue their sponsorship of the team in 2011. In a written statement, the bank was quoted as saying, quote, Saxo Bank announced that the bank will continue as title sponsor for Reese Cycling, whether Alberto Contador will be on the team in 2011 or not. And for his part, Bjarne Reese was then quoted as saying, quote, I'm truly happy and grateful to know that Saxo Bank sees the value in continuing their support of our team even before the adjudication. Speaking of not being happy, you can imagine how Alberto Contador feels about all of this. He has been quoted as saying that if he is found guilty of this offense, he would retire from cycling. His mother was recently quoted as saying that it's possible no matter what the result of this case that Contador is simply fed up and will be leaving the sport even if he's found in innocent of these charges. But in a statement last week, Contador took it even further because he is so upset with various media outlets and websites. And he was quoted as saying that the rider will, quote, take legal actions against defamatory information published by various media and websites due to their absolute lack of veracity. Now, the press officer for Alberto Contador and the statement did not specify which media outlets or websites would be subject to legal action by Alberto Contador, but it seems clear that Contador is very upset about the various leaks and about all of the unsubstantiated claims that have been thrown back and forth about the rider over the last couple of weeks. The statement from Alberto Contador went on to say, quote, the rider asks the sport authorities, and especially the UCI, to provide a quick resolution of this case, as this is the best way to end the speculations and the publication of false and defamatory news about his person. Now, the fight against doping in the Tour de France is nothing new. And in fact, in 2007, if you were a professional rider and you had hoped to start in the 2007 Tour de France, the UCI required that you sign a document that was called the Commitment to New Cycling. And as part of this document, you agreed that if you were found guilty of doping and given a two-year ban, that you would donate one year's salary toward anti-doping efforts. Now, one of the riders who signed that document because he wanted to make sure that he could start the 2007 Tour de France was Alexander Vinokurov. And for those of you who've been watching the Tour de France for any length of time, know that Vinokurov was one of the riders involved in that year's doping scandals during the Tour de France, and he was subsequently given a two-year ban. The UCI tried to enforce 
the commitment to new cycling document against Alexander Vinokurov and make him pay a $1.7 million fine. Alexander Vinokurov appealed to the Court of Arbitration for Sport and last year, last week, won that appeal against the UCI, the Court of Arbitration for Sport, ruling that not only did Vinokurov not have to pay the $1.7 million, but that the UCI had to pay Vinokurov $10,400 towards his legal fees. And not only has Alexander Vinokurov won a victory in court against the UCI, but so has Italy's Franco Pelizzotti, who will now be seeking damages from the, the UCI after having been cleared for tampering with his biological passport. You may recall that Pelizzotti was forced to miss this year's Giro d'Italia after the UCI said that the data on his biological passport looked suspicious. However, CONI, the Italian Olympic Committee, and their anti-doping tri tribunal in Italy recently ruled that, quote, there does not exist enough evidence to prove manipulation, unquote. As a result, Pelizzotti has said, quote, I'm satisfied and will now ask for damages from the UCI. Had Pelizzotti been found guilty, he too would have been subject to the traditional two-year ban from professional cycling. But because there is not enough evidence to prove that he tampered with his biological passport, and as a result of that, he missed the Giro d'Italia and missed defending his polka dot jersey in this year's Tour de France, all observers believe that Pelizzotti has a great chance of winning against the UCI and getting damages from them as a result of having been having missed out on much of the 2010 season. Well, let's move away from doping and individual riders and let's talk about some races because as the 2010 season comes to a close, the 2011 season begins to be what all eyes start to turn toward. And over the last couple of weeks, we've had some announcements about upcoming routes for some very high-profile races, starting with the 2011 Amgen Tour of California. This year's race, or next year's race, will be taking place over eight days from May 15th through the 22nd. Stage one will take the riders on an individual time trial around Lake Tahoe. Stage two taking them from Lake Tahoe to Sacramento. Stage three from Auburn to Modesto. Stage four Livermore to San Jose. Stage five Seaside to Paso Robles. Stage six returning to Solvang for the famed individual time trial. Stage seven is going to be a toughie from Claremont to Mount Baldy, including Glendora Mountain Road, a famous and favorite training site for Southern California cyclists. And then stage eight for the final stage the Amgen Tour of California returns to Santa Clarita as a start, and the finish of this year's event will be in Thousand Oaks, California. Now, last week, all eyes were in France, well, except for Alberto Contador, who was not in attendance for the route presentation of the 2011 edition of the Tour de France. And this year's race is going to be very exciting. That is, unless you're an individual time trial fan. There will only be one individual time trial, and it will, will be relatively short. 
There will be no prologue time trial. The only individual time trial will be taking place on the penultimate stage just before the triumphant entry into Paris on the final day. There will, however, be the return of one of my favorite events, which is the team time trial on stage two of this year's Tour de France. Many observers believe that this year's race is tailor-made for one of two individuals to win, either Alberto Contador, if he recovers from this scandal and is able to return to defend his championship in the Tour de France, and if not for Alberto Contador, then for Andy or Frank Schleck. So I guess that's three people, either Contador or one of the Schlecks, because it includes some high mountain stages, including climbing the Col de Galibier twice, once from each direction, and my favorite stage, 109-kilometer stage, stage 19 on Friday, July the 22nd, when the riders will go over the Col du Telegraph, the Galibier, and then descend down and head toward Bourg de Wizan before climbing Alpe d'Huez for the mountaintop finish at that famous ski station. 2011 Tour de France looks to be yet another incredible spectator event. And if you're interested in participating in at least part of the stages of the Tour de France, you have two opportunities this year because there will be two Etapes du Tour in 2011. The first will occur in the Alps on Monday, July the 11th, and that is that stage I just told you about, going over Telegraph Galibier and the Alpe d'Huez. It's going to be a just an amazing event. If I can figure out a way to get there, that's the top that I want to do this year, that 109-kilometer climbing festival. Then the next one will take place on Sunday, July the 17th. It will be 208 kilometers in the Massif Central, and it is going to be a relatively rolling event and probably much faster than the previous top. There are links in the show notes to where you can find uh, more information on the 2011 route and also on the two 2011 Etapes du Tour. And speaking of amazing spectator events, perhaps one of the best bicycle races to watch, the 2011 Giro d'Italia route was announced on Saturday, yesterday, and looks to be a brutal event, including uh, stage one, a team time trial, then a mountain time trial on uh, stage 16, and a final individual time trial on stage 21. Along the way, going through some beautiful and brutal sections of Italy and going into Austria as well to climb the famed Gross Glockner climb. Look for the 2011 Giro d'Italia, May the 7th through May the 29th. And realize, of course, because of the timing of the Giro d'Italia and the timing of the Amgen Tour of California, that it is likely that the Pro Peloton will be split yet again, with some teams choosing to send their best here to the United States and others choosing to stay at the Grand Tours in Europe. And before we leave the world of professional cycling, just a couple of notes on some rider transactions that have occurred recently. 
Uh, Andy and Frank Schleck, the still-to-be-named Luxembourg team, have announced that they have signed Daniela Benatti to their team for 2011 and that their former teammate from Team Saxobank, Jens Voigt, will now be joining the Luxembourg team as well. Meanwhile, Lance Armstrong announced via Twitter just a couple of days ago, quote, Olivia Marie Armstrong has arrived, and that was at 11.13 p.m. on October 17th. Olivia Marie is Lance Armstrong's fifth child, so congratulations to mom, dad, and Olivia Armstrong. Plus, Lance Armstrong has now announced that he will conclude his international professional cycling next year in 2011 at the 2011 Tour Down Under. Lance Armstrong quoted in a statement as saying, quote, I'm excited to be competing in my last professional ride outside the United States at the Santos Tour Down Under. It will be my third time to the event, and I'm sure I will enjoy it as much as I have the first two times. I will never forget the reception we received in Adelaide when we kicked off the Livestrong Global Campaign. I look forward to racing and also checking in on the progress in South Australia. And finally, the Manx missile, Mark Cavendish, just ahead of the Commonwealth Games a few weeks ago, decided that he wanted to tell the world how he felt about his HTC Columbia squad, who have not yet offered him a contract beyond the 2011 season. He said, quote, I'm committed to a contract I signed a few years ago. There's been no goodwill, no bonuses, nothing. I'm kind of abused for what I've achieved, but I've been contracted to do it, so I have to do it. I haven't been offered another contract yet, so I don't know why that is. At the end of the day, I'm never going to stop racing. I love racing, and I'm going to race for my teammates. Fundamentally, I ride my bike because I love to ride my bike. But with the pressures, the normal person's life that I've lost, you should see the benefits coming with that, and I don't get that. I'm disappointed with that. Moving on from professional cycling, but still discussing disappointment as Mark Cavendish was, I have to express my disappointment with the fact that USA Today has now cut Sal Rubel from its staff. Sal Rubel quoted on his Facebook page recently as saying, Yesterday I was cut from the USA Today Sports Department, along with several other reporters and staff people. I'm allowed to apply for two open jobs in other departments. I've worked in the money and news sections before, including several overseas stints. This isn't the end, just a change, of course. Now, if you don't know who Sal Rubel is and why many of us in the cycling community are disappointed, Sal Rubel did the cycling beat for the USA Today's sports section. And if you look through major metropolitan newspapers around the United States, indeed perhaps around the world, you don't find that cycling gets a whole lot of attention. And it was very refreshing to have uh, a newspaper with the prominence of USA Today having someone specifically on the cycling beat. I had the opportunity to meet Sal Rubel several times, including recently at press camp here in Deer Valley and several years ago at the... National Bike Summit in Washington, D.C. As a matter of fact, if you go back to Fredcast number 65, you'll hear my interview with Sal Rubel. I'm hoping Sal lands on his feet and that he still has the opportunity to report on cycling. No matter where he lands, I think that they will be the better for it, and I think USA Today will be the poorer for it as well. 
Well, let's talk a little bit about helmets. I've got a couple of stories about helmets today, and I know that there are some of you out there in the audience who would never throw a leg over a top tube without having a helmet on your head. And there are others of you who believe that helmets uh, potentially are a disincentive for people who are looking to get into cycling for the first time. And one of the ways that people are getting into cycling more and more around the world is something that we talked about earlier, which are these cycle share or cycle hire schemes around the world. One such cycle hire scheme is in Melbourne, Australia, where the government there has now made it possible for individuals who are interested in having access to bicycle helmets to purchase them for just $5 at a variety of locations around Melbourne, including 7-Eleven stores. According to a spokesman for Melbourne's bike share program, quote, while there has been a steady uptake of Australia's first public bike hire scheme, we've had feedback from the community asking for greater availability of helmets. We have always said we would consider a range of helmet solutions for Melbourne bike share, and we expect that this trial will go some way to help make the scheme more accessible. We will use feedback from this trial to determine the best permanent solution to providing more helmets for people using Melbourne bike share. Now, people can buy these helmets for $5 and they can keep them, or they can return them to a 7-Eleven store for recycling and get $3 cash back. Now, I am one of those people who falls into the camp of not throwing a leg over a top tube without having a helmet on my head, so I love the fact that they have made helmets available to people at such an inexpensive price. You can ride the bike without a helmet if you so desire, but if you want one, they're out there and you don't have to go out and spend a lot of money to make sure that you feel protected when you're out there on the road. So kudos to Melbourne for making these helmets available and for making them available at such an amazing price. In another development for helmets, our friend Carlton Reed from Bike Biz Magazine tells us about what he says was perhaps the most innovative thing that he saw at the London Cycle Show this year, and that was a creation of a recent graduate from London's Royal College of Art by the name of Aniruddha Surabi, who has designed a bicycle helmet that is waterproof, tough, and said to provide more protection than traditional polystyrene bicycle helmets, but this one is made out of cardboard. If you go to bikebiz.com, you can take a look at a picture of it. There's also a YouTube video. These helmets, originally I expected when I talked to Carlton, these were going to be helmets that would be available very inexpensively for cycle hire schemes like we talked about in Melbourne. However, at present, these helmets are constructed by taking careful measurements of the head, and each one is custom made. They're called the cranium helmet, spelled with a K, and it is expected that when they're available, they'll cost about 80 UK pounds. An interesting idea for something that is lighter than a polystyrene helmet to also have it be more sturdy and more strong, even though it's only made out of cardboard. It's an interesting idea. I think it probably has a long way to go, especially because each of them is custom made. But I like the fact that people are looking at ways of innovating something that many people simply do not like and do not want to wear, even though there are, again, like me, many of us who believe that you really should be wearing one of these if you're on your bike. Now, one of the reasons why people don't like to wear helmets is because 
it's a fashion thing. Uh, they, they think they look stupid in them. They think that bicycle helmets are ugly. Uh, they think that they're heavy. They think that uh, they'll mess up their hair. Well, a group of Swedish industrial design students have themselves come up with what they believe is a solution to that problem with what is essentially an airbag for your head. Their design, called the Hervding, is a large collar that goes around your neck and can look fairly stylish. As a matter of fact, if you take a look at the pictures and the videos, you'll see that they've hired some very attractive models to show these off, showing that they can look quite stylish. This goes around your neck, and because of very sophisticated sensors in the unit, if you get hit by a car, if you fall off your bike, the thought is that a helmet, like an airbag on your car, will deploy and surround your head, thereby protecting your head in the event of a crash. I would encourage you to take a look at their YouTube video. There's links in the show notes to their website. It is really a very innovative device. It does look silly when it inflates, but that's not really the point. The point is to protect your head. Go ahead and take a look. I was really taken by this. It's a really interesting idea. I don't know whether or not it'll actually take off or whether it'll actually hit the market, but here are some people who are really thinking and addressing both sides of this issue. Um, take a look. Let me know what you think. There are links in the show notes. If you've been riding a bike for any length of time, chances are that you or someone you know may have been a victim of bicycle theft. I know if you've lived on a college campus or if you've lived in a large city, chances are you've seen this happen. I know when we talked to Mark from AmsterdamEyes.com a few months ago, he told us he had had more than 80 bicycles stolen in Amsterdam. Well, it turns out that the internet is quite the research tool for those of you who have recently been victims of bicycle theft. A story out of Boston says that two teens who turned to Craigslist to market stolen bicycles found their buyers this morning. Unfortunately, the buyers were Boston police detectives, and that's because a man whose bicycle was stolen was on Craigslist looking at listings and found, you guessed it, his bicycle. He called the police. The police set up a sting, and they caught the two bicycle thieves. Michael J. Williams, 18, of Dorchester, and Miles McLean, 17, of Roxbury, were arrested and allegedly admitted that they were riding stolen bikes. They were both charged with larceny, over $250, and that is good news for the man who found his bike on Craigslist because after a little bit more research, detectives were able to recover his bicycle as well. Oh, and by the way, the uh, one of the articles that I found had an interesting footnote. It reads as follows. There's a footnote to the case. In 2008, the same man's bike was also stolen, and he paid a reward to the teen who recovered it. Police said that that teen was McLean, who showed up at the victim's house even though reward posters never listed his address. Makes you go, hmm, don't it? Meanwhile, across the country in Salem, Oregon, a woman was upset because her son's bike was stolen. She reported it to police, and then she too was cruising Craigslist looking for 
a variety of different things. And what did she come across? A bike that looked substantially similar to that of her son. She arranged to meet the seller in a parking lot and also arranged to have the police there as well. When the seller approached the woman, the police approached the seller and the man was arrested with the bike in the trunk of his car. So lesson, ladies and gentlemen, if perhaps you too are a victim of bicycle theft, great opportunities await you on the internet for sleuthing and hopefully finding your stolen bicycle. But just a word of warning, and I know it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. It seems like common sense. If you do find your stolen bike online, don't take the law into your own hands. Call the police. Let them handle it. It's just nice to know that the internet has provided us with yet another tool at our disposal. Uh, that can help us find our stolen bikes. I think it's fantastic. You know, Benjamin Franklin was quoted as saying, beer is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. And this story is proof that beer can also help save a cyclist's life. Just before 8 p.m. last Thursday, a man was riding his bike in San Diego County near Rancho Bernardo when he was hit by a car. Now, the impact of the collision demolished the back end of his bike and threw him nearly 60 feet, according to the police report. And the man who was believed to be in about in his 40s, he wasn't wearing a helmet and he did suffer injuries to his head and his back. But according to the story I've read, he is expected to survive. Why, you may ask? And what does this have to do with beer? According to officers, the cyclist was wearing a backpack, and in that backpack, he had some beer. And that beer, when he was hit, likely helped absorb the fall, thereby saving his life. According to Sergeant Art Doherty with the San Diego Police Department, quote, the saving grace for him, he was wearing a backpack. He had a number of, I love police, you know, understatements. He had a number of beverages within the backpack, it probably absorbed the impact. Now, this was a hit and run. The driver did drive away, and small parts of the car were left at the scene. But unfortunately, officers have no witnesses, but somebody did find the man, and they called 911. So hopefully, somebody will find this guy who did this nefarious deed, but it does go to show that Benjamin Franklin was absolutely 100% correct. And with that miraculous story, this ends the news for this week's episode of the Fredcast and actually brings our show to a close. But before we go, I do want to thank our show sponsor, Jensen USA. Go to www.thefredcast.com and click that Jensen USA link on the right-hand side of the page or go to jensenusa.com slash thefredcast. If you have not yet tried Jensen USA, and I can't believe it if you haven't, but if you haven't yet tried Jensen USA, now is the time. Stock up on your winter cycling apparel. Get that trainer tire that you need in time for putting your, your bike on the trainer to continue your off-season training. Get the fenders that you need for cyclocross. Get your mountain bike tires to get in those last few single track rides of the season. Whatever it is you need, Jensen USA will have it. They'll have it a better selection. They'll have it at a better price. And I'm telling you, they're going to have the best 
customer service around. Go to JensenUSA.com slash TheFredCast. We thank Jensen USA for their support of the Fredcast. We thank you for your support of Jensen USA. Well, before we get out of here with some Podsafe Cycling Music, just want to remind you how you can contact the Fredcast. Of course, you can go to our website at any time at www.thefredcast.com. You can send us an email, thefredcast at gmail.com, or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash fredcast. And the best way to know everything that's going on with me and the Fredcast is twitter.com slash fredcast. Of course, if you'd like to send us an audio comment, please do so at area code 661 513-F-R-E-D. That's 661-513-3733. Well, it is time for one of my favorite parts of the show. It's time for Podsafe Cycling Music. And this week's Podsafe Cycling Music was chosen specifically for the Fredcast by The Cadence Revolution, your weekly podcast of Podsafe music that's perfect for your indoor cycling, available at www.cadencerevolution.com. Tonight's Podsafe Cycling Music is by Lisa Bouchelle, and it's called Along for the Ride. And I'm told that Cadence Revolution found this at the Podsafe Music Network at music.mevio.com. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Fredcast. Thank you so much for listening and for staying subscribed and for telling your friends about the Fredcast Cycling Podcast. As we close in on our fifth anniversary, I can't tell you how grateful I am to all of you and the support that you've provided to the Fredcast over the years. I do this show for you, and it is my pleasure to do so. I will be back in not too long of a time with another episode of the Fredcast Cycling Podcast. But between this show and the next, enjoy the music. But most of all, enjoy the ride.